Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Progport Podcast, a special Progport panel episode. Uh, we've done these on a couple of occasions, talking about notable albums and releases that have come out that we want to talk about and bring some experts about the band, maybe, to come in and talk. And I think we have a great panel here. Of course, Jeff is uh, joining us, and, you know, he's done a lot of stuff uh, with Yes coverage for us over the years. And uh, we have, the I mean, the guy who's the Yes, the yes expert, I think, uh, Kevin Mulrine from the Yes Music Podcast. <laughs> Uh, is joining us. Hi, Kevin. How are you? Hi. Uh, yeah. Not not an expert on all of yes, but uh, well, 50, we, 55 you were, years of the stuff. Before we hit the record <laughs> button, we, we were getting to talk about how many podcast episodes you've done, but let's, let's go ahead and talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, it, when did you start the Yes Music podcast and how many episodes have you done now? Well, we started in, well, I started on my own in 2011, August 2011. And uh, then Mark Anthony came, my co-host, co-host joined me and we've now got up to 582 episodes well that's not strictly true it depends on how you count them because there were some specials in there as well so it's probably about <laughs> 592 actually but that's unbelievable but yeah officially speaking 582 yeah phenomenal job man and and uh incredible kudos to you i i, I we are at mid 300s i want to say something like that episodes um mm, so it's, it's pretty I, crazy i've, I've and and cover every band as opposed to one band. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah, and then I'm I'm sometimes sending out emails going, "What should we do?" <laughs> like, so <laughs> uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I mean... But um, well, we want to talk about the new Yes album, uh, "Mirror to the Sky," and uh, what we think about it, and, and the ins and outs of that record a little bit. But but before we get into that, uh, you've written a book. Uh, uh -huh. I see it there behind you, the Tormato story. Um, Another, one? Another copy? Yeah. Um, uh, very Me? cool. Uh, it's sort um, of an underrated, underappreciated album in the catalog, I think. So what? tell us about the book, why you decided to write it and, and, and doing all the research for it and everything. Well, first of all, it's my, 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 my might sound strange, but it, it's my favorite, yes, album, which wow. is something I share with, with Oliver Wakeman, um, former keyboard player of yes, of course. And he very kindly agreed to write the forward. So the first part of the book is is by Oliver, and he's such a such a lovely chap, as I'm sure you know. Sure. Um, but that's what started me off thinking about about Tormato, and I, I just you know like a lot of Yes fans, I just want to know everything I can possibly find out about about the album that started me off on my journey. So I was <clears throat> I was given a a pirated tape by my one of my friends which had 90125 on one side, which had just been released. So this was 1983 and Tormato on the other side. And before I flipped the tape over to listen to Tormato, I had never heard any progressive rock music at all. <laughs> <laughs> and so <laughs> you can imagine when Future Times Rejoice started up, I, uh, I was absolutely floored. I, I had no idea what this stuff was. And having come from a background of, of not only pop music, rock music, and, uh, you know, I, was, I had been a Queen fan since I was, you know, five or something. And I also had a classical uh, background, so I play the violin and I sing. And so this really struck a chord with me, things like Madrigal and, and all those orchestral-type elements in there with Andrew Price Jackman's orchestration and all those uh, aspects of it really amazed me. And I never looked back from there. I... I I branched out from Tormato into all the other Yes albums as quickly as I possibly could. But Tormato just stayed ingrained. And you know what it's like when you find the first thing that you really love. And I'm sure you can remember back in the 
back in the early 80s, this was uh, having this cassette tape and a little tiny little transistor radio slash tape player next to my bed. And I went to sleep every night listening to Tormato. So it, I can't get it out of my brain. And I just needed to know everything I could possibly find out about it, how they made the sounds, how they recorded it, what instruments they used, why they used those particular instruments, how did they get them to sound like that? And so I became completely obsessed. And uh, yeah, I ended up with a 336 page book about one album. Wow. I mean, I've I've had the privilege of 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 having a preview of the book, and uh, I guess that's probably, you know, a question that someone might have is, you know, there are histories of the entire band that you know are probably fewer pages. But what's fantastic about the book, from my <laughs> perspective, is it goes into every minute detail um, of instruments used of the recording process of the you know the covers pretty distinctive how did it come about why did it mm. have a splattered tomato on on the front of mm. it mm. um and all all of that is in there and and you've you've talked to a phenomenal number of people was there a was there a kind of a what, what you know what's the favorite th you've obviously you've listened to this album you said for, you know since 1983 what was the what was the favorite kind of or can you think of an outstanding fact that you found out about it during the course of the research that you didn't know before oh blimey there are so many uh i i, I think a couple that's that stand out for me um although it's, it seems strange but the the stories behind the harpsichord that rick wakeman used on Madrigal are absolutely fascinating and I knew little or nothing about harpsichords themselves before we spoke to James Gardner and he's an amazing chap uh, originally a, a, a musician and band member in the in the 80s and early 90s and he's now a, a New he's in New Zealand and he's a, a professor of music essentially in New Zealand and he knew everything that there was to know about about Thomas Goff and this particular harpsichord that that Rick Wakeman used for the for not only the recording of of Madrigal on Tormaza, but he also used Thomas Goff uh, harpsichords on other Yes music like uh, like Close to the Edge, and so that opened up a huge uh, and deep rabbit hole, which I which I very gleefully went down and found out why he was using this particular harpsichord by this particular maker harpsichord maker who himself has a tragic and very uh, and fascinating story behind him um so there was the harpsichord but also the biotron as well so chris dale came and told us all about the the biotron which is an instrument which is uh, well really the the rarest musical instrument in the world it, it never got out of the prototype prototype stage um and but very important for tomato and for rick wakeman because rick wakeman invested a lot of money in the development of the biotron and he actually owned the the patent for the the biotron at one stage and he sunk a lot of money in it and it failed and so it was another example of rick wakeman <laughs> not wasting but uh, certainly using his money <laughs> in interesting yeah. ways and there are so many other stories as well it's just been fascinating so that album came after going for the one which was still a pretty successful album for the band and then right after this album you know, that's, of course, when drama came out and they changed singers and, and uh, I guess Rick Wakeman had left. What was the reception like for Tormato that maybe influenced those changes for the, for the band? Yes. Uh, so 
certainly there were two camps being set up within the band uh, around the time of Tomato. But you've got to remember that Tomato itself sold extremely well. Uh, on pre-sales alone, it was a gold record in the UK. And that was the first Yes album that was a gold record in the UK before release. Um, it also sold incredibly well in, in the United States. Um, but <laughs> really, before anyone had, had heard it. Uh, and perhaps that's part of the, the issue. But yes, hmm. there definitely were two camps being set up. There was Rick Wakeman and John Anderson versus the other three. And of course, it was the other three, Squire, White and Howe, who stayed with Yes and joined up with the Buggles, Jeff, Jeff Downs and uh, Trevor Horn and, and created drama. So it, it was splitting in that direction. But I don't really think those that split... Uh, was particularly serious until they got to Paris, the Paris sessions um, the next year. Uh, and certainly talking to Rick Wakeman now, and he was, I've just explained, he was in this one particular camp wanting to do some certain things with Yes. And talking to him now in 2023, he didn't think that there were any issues going into the record, going into producing the record. Now, Steve Howe, on the other hand, uh, freely admits that it was incredibly difficult, the process of, of trying to make this record for a lot of different reasons. And I think he was more unhappy with, uh, with, with the process of creating the record than, than others. And the, there is the, the whole situation with Rick Wakeman with two keyboards, his, his new Byrotron and his new Polymoog, um, playing in pretty much the same, uh, places and, and areas of the sonic landscape as Steve Howe was. And so mm. there was a battle going on musically there between between Rick with his two instruments versus Steve with his one. And in in some ways you could say that that Rick Wakeman won that battle. Uh, but but uh, yeah, so everything was not perfect, but you know you can't as a totally dysfunctional band, you can't go and play the number of sold out gigs that they did on the on the tomato tour and also the 10 true summers tour the next year you can't do that if you are fighting as a band in the way that some people will have you believe they were and when i asked rick wakeman uh, about the 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 the, the assumed uh, pressure that the band was under from punk and from different right. audience reactions to what a lot of people regarded as dinosaur rock at the time. Rick, Rick said, um, no, there wasn't really a plan to try and do shorter songs to try and, you know, beat the other ones, the other bands at their own game and, and appeal more to a, a different generation of music fans. That wasn't what they were thinking at all. When they went into creating the record, they were just, um, working on songs uh, as they always had done. And it just so happened that they were shorter. Although he does admit that, that perhaps there was some pressure from the, from the record companies uh, towards single related um, songs. Anyway, I could go on all, literally. Yeah, yeah. All no, we could do, I, so you'll have we to could stop do a whole me. podcast on Tormato. <laughs> give me, to, uh, but yeah, um, but, um, it, you, you'll, if you're watching this in video, you'll see Kevin has the book behind, plus the, is that, that's a separate poster, but there is also a color supplement yes. um, with lots of nice color photographs from the oh, sessions mm -hmm. and from various places. Yeah, um, yeah. behind the scenes. Yes, yes, it's a great little fantastic, really cool. So, and and by the way, there's a, a a nice quote from our own uh, Jeff Bailey on the cover. 
Oh, there certainly is. Um, yeah. on, honored, honored. Yes, and, you'll and never that's... hear the album in the same way again. Says Jeff Bailey from the Prog Report. There you go. And I, I mean, I do. I mean, that's. <laughs> I, I mean, it. It wasn't written to. Kevin was very kind to put that on the cover. It wasn't written to go on the cover. But, but I always say that, and I've heard other people say it as well. But you know, I, I love music books. If you could see over to my right, there are hundreds of them, and the ones that I enjoy the best are the ones. That make me hear the music in a new way um and, and definitely that you know if you're if you're a yes fan and a and a tornado skeptic um i think this this book will will do something to open your eyes um no pun intended um <laughs> uh to to the album kevin where, whereabouts can can people get it um okay well i think there are two different ways at the moment and that is if you're on this side of the atlantic if you're in europe and the uk uh, and ireland and all, all those places over here scandinavia perhaps then the best place is burning shed and the reason that's the best place is because burning shed are friends they're musicians they support bands and support musicians and um, i like supporting them so i would encourage people on this side of the atlantic to go there if if you're uh, on the other side of the Atlantic in the US, Canada, and all that, um, it's probably quite expensive to get it from Burning Shed. So, because of course there is the the postage cost of across the Atlantic. So you're probably better off uh, in your own record stores. It, it, it's it's a print-on-demand book, which means that it it'll never run out. You'll be able to order it from whatever uh, place you normally order your books from. So Amazon and all the other online stores will be able to order copies for you and certainly it is available on amazon um right now the other in thing fact, to say uh, though is that, uh, is that the supplement sorry the supplement is only available from me at the moment so you'll need to go to tormatobook.com uh, to order yourself a copy of that and an amazon bestseller well it in is fact, an, amazon. an amazon number one best <laughs> an amazon number one bestseller at this point isn't that right well yeah yeah, yeah kind of the thing again don't get me started but the thing about amazon is that there are so many different categories that if your book <laughs> so is it's number one in the category in, in about one of books about tornado by yes exactly <laughs> yes, yes yes it's not quite like that but but yes it's almost like that um, but yes great. i can i can now legitimately say that i am a uh, an amazon best selling author so there you oh, go fantastic uh all right so let's let's jump uh let's see how many years is it uh 25 ish 45 yeah 35 years uh, 45 45 is it 45 um mm -hmm. into uh mirror to the sky which just was re released a, a week ago and um we had a couple of singles that first came out uh and uh and i actually they dropped a new uh video for one of the tracks circle of time uh today uh which is a nice john davison track but i want to uh, just sort of touch base on what you think kevin of when you first heard uh, the record, you, I'm sure you got an advance uh, of the album, uh, like like most people of, of uh, your expertise and podcasting do. Um, you know, what were your first impressions of the record? Well, my first impressions were very, very positive. And I think it's a, a really, really good, yes, album. And it's, it's a, you, the, there is so much progress between, if you start at Heaven and Earth, because that was the first record that, John Davison was involved with with Yes, right. and he did a lot of the writing there. He did quite a bit of the writing on the quest, and then he's done a lot of writing for Mirror to the Sky. Uh, so you can take those three albums as a 
as as a as a trio and and the development of the writing and the way that the band is working together over those three is quite dramatic and heaven and earth we spoke to john davison recently on the podcast and he he said that from his point of view and really from the rest of the band's point of view he he saw heaven and earth as unfinished and they basically put out a set of demos as an album now and that was due to needing to get out on tour <laughs> how many times has this happened to yes needing to finish the album off quickly and get out on tour and also the fact that roy thomas baker who was an, an odd choice for producer anyway if you yeah. ask me but um he he had some personal problems and so spent very little time in the studio with them so it was all pretty aimless stuff um carry on uh forward to the quest and there were some real signs of something special happening there i didn't think it quite got there in some of the songs it was great but now this has taken a massive massive leap forward and i, I think it's probably because of uh, the way that steve howe is able to to work with john davison because they live close to each other now and they're able to spend a lot of time in the same room uh, working on music and also the way that billy sherwood has come to the fore in this record as well i think he's his bass lines are amazing on this record and yeah. Not the same as Chris Squires, but I, I certainly think they're remarkable. And the fact that they've managed to put together the the title track, Mirrors to the Sky, which is on a par with quite a few of the progressive masterpieces from from the 70s, in my opinion. Uh, oh, and also our great friend Paul K. Joyce is back with his orchestra, and that lifts the album again. So I think it's 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 a great album. Jeff, how about you? What were your first uh, first impressions? Yeah, well, you know, but uh, you know, thinking back, it, 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 I don't want to repeat what Kevin has said, but I guess who, who'd have thought in such a short space of time we would have the quest? Um, and despite everything else then that happened, we had a tour. It wasn't a relayer tour; it was a close to the edge tour. But I saw that tour in Dublin, and the band were superb. Um, having obviously lost Alan White in the interim, you know. But we had a band who'd, you know, a Yes band who had produced a really, really good, solid studio album, who were touring, you know, embracing the next set of changes and played a set, you know, that had, in fact, it had a track from Tormato, be began with the si Silent Wings of Freedom, yeah. you know, covered drama, covered a pile of stuff, had uh, Dare to Know and The Ice Bridge from the new album and all of Close to the Edge. And that that was you know a fantastic concert to then you know within another relatively short space of time get get a studio album of any sort is incredible and i again i think that probably and probably not intentionally given the time that um you know it would have taken them to record it and put it together but i think that probably some of the things that were for me were missing from the quest albeit i really enjoyed it were that progressive edge that kind of harder um edge more dynamic music and i think they've really really tapped into that it, it as a prog fan it's hard not to get excited excited when you see nine minute songs and 13 minute songs but you know time doth not an epic make but i think actually they they really hit they really hit the mark on this album and i think the thing i love about it is that as a 40 minute album i think it fits together perfectly i think the dynamic 
where the long songs are placed, where the shorter songs are placed, where the epics placed, how it ends with circles of time. You know, it's a it's a fantastic, you know, forty minute actual album. The bonus tracks are bonuses, and I know that in probably fan circles, a lot of people feel unknown place may have deserved a place on the main album. Um, but when I listen to it, I'm not quite sure where it would fit in the sequence that would make it kind of better. Um, so you know, I think I think the album is a great achievement. I think, and I think it shows progress. And, and the last thing I want to say, and I'm I'm prepared for the the hate mail in this, but a lot of people in yes circles have a lot of views of different things. Whatever you think about this lineup of the band, they have come up with the goods. They've come up with the goods twice. They've produced two albums in two years. And I mean, I know Roy is a big Trevor Raven fan. I certainly am a big Rick, Rick Wakeman fan. Love John Anderson. ARW was a fantastic prospect, but ultimately they didn't produce any new music. And, and it, that's sure. not to be that's not to be underestimated. And it's nothing to do with the talent of those individuals. It's nothing to do with, you know, the, their ability at all. They didn't make it work. Yes, have found a way to make this work and to get it together, pandemic and all, really, and produce an album that I think, I mean, it's it's been brilliant to see the fan reaction to it because, you know, it. it I think it's been really, really well received. And I think it'll continue it'll continue to get that acclaim i think um i agree with both of you i, I enjoy the record a lot and i think that one of the things it boils down to for me with listening to records is i'm usually pretty generous on first listens i tend to like stuff sort of apologetic unapologetically in the beginning but um do i still listen to it you know a month or two later do i still like it you know and so far i, I feel like i do with this one there's a lot to absorb with it. There's a lot of reasons to to return to it. You, a lot of stuff going on, um, and it's interesting. And I find that uh, the production is really great. I just think it's a it's a solid album from beginning to end. And sh shout out to uh, Billy Sherwood for his bass playing. I think it's probably the, easily the best bass playing he's he's done. Not only in in what he the parts he's playing, but also the sound and how they come across in the mix and everything. It really does sound almost like the ghost of of chris squire on this record and um you know the drumming jay shellen does a fantastic job i think a lot of writing that maybe people aren't aware of is from john davison on this record and um and he does a fantastic job so yeah i i think it is a, a really good record and especially the title track which I, you know kevin you said it right i mean it it really lines up with some of the great long epics that they've had of course y i mean you're never going to say it's as maybe better than awaken or close to the edge of some of the big ones but man it's really not much worse like worse it's a it's like a really good <laughs> song and the ending of that song with the big mm. orchestral part is what yeah. seals the deal right i mean that's just awesome yeah. And uh, you, you'd love to maybe get a chance to see that live if you do that tour you were talking about jeff uh, i saw that line that exact show here maybe a year ago i want to say it might have been more I, it's so impossible to know what time is anymore but i it was <laughs> it was post pandemic i know that much. that's just because you're old <laughs> yeah well i don't know I, well what was when anymore but um it, that was a, a really good concert so i think and i remember seeing them 
on one of the Cruise to the Edge shows a few years ago now um, and being very underwhelmed, actually, by how they were sounding. So I think not only have they come a long way in terms of studio recording, but they've come a long way as a live unit by leaps and bounds, I think, because mm -hmm. the last show I saw was awesome. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think there's two camps. There's the people that don't want Yes to ever do anything again, right? Mm -hmm. Which, okay. Uh, and then and then there's people that are just open to listening to new stuff. I think if you're open to listening to new stuff, there's really no reason not to like this album. But you know what's also, I find, within that, um, you have people that are liking this album on its own merits and then you have people that are liking this album just because it's better than heaven and earth <laughs> by a lot <laughs> <laughs> which so i you know i don't know i don't know where i lie on that to be honest i haven't listened to heaven and earth probably since it came out i don't know <laughs> i mean i think subway walls i think was the, was the only good track that i mm. remember um but i did like the quest a lot i thought the quest was a good record Let's dive into a f some of the other aspects of the record, uh, bringing back Roger Dean and and the artwork. What do you make of the artwork on this one? Um, I I w initially wasn't wasn't as impressed as I as I usually am with with Roger Dean's work because I, I felt the same with with the cover that he did uh, for the recent um, uh, live live album, which was uh, Las Vegas or. What was that one called? The Royal yeah. Affair. Royal, Royal Affair. Affair. One. Um, I prefer his daytime scenes uh, <laughs> to his nighttime scenes normally. Interesting. But having said that, so I wasn't looking forward to getting the, the record in terms of seeing the, the front cover. But having said that, and I'll just reach over and grab it. Um, I, I shelled out a huge amount of money and, and went for one of the art book ones. And seeing the thing in the flesh, actually, it, it's actually one of my favorite um album covers from yes in the end yeah so i've completely changed my mind on that and i think it's wonderful and i do have to give a little bit of a shout out to to the gottlieb brothers who have produced these art books they are spectacular if you've seen some of the the gottlieb brothers uh, recent tour books which are also beautiful well they've done the same with this um art book and it's it's just dramatically dramatically wonderful and it's got an awful lot of of interview material from the band members in it which is which is really nice to see um so yes I, I i'm really keen on the artwork in the end when i didn't think i was going to be yeah i agree the the art book is really nicely put together it looks it does it's actually a lot it's not just like five pictures and a couple of cds it's it's pretty substantial and there's a lot to read in there and great photos and yeah, it's done really well yeah I including think, uh... including steve howe wielding a knife yeah <laughs> Wow. Mine, mine hasn't arrived. Uh, the, <laughs> the, one of the the aforementioned uh, uh, online retailer uh, de delayed delayed. I went for the the one the the one with the vinyl and stuff in it, and uh, they they've promised me it for this Friday. I'm I'm not convinced. They promised me it for last Friday, and it didn't show up. So I'm glad that I that I wasn't sitting <laughs> waiting for that. Um, yeah. Yeah, knife wielding uh, Steve Pye sounds sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, um, perhaps he was. He was trying to go back to the seventies and the the Malatron antics, maybe. Who can say? I think. I think. I think. Um. And I, I mean, look, this this one and the last one, you know. Again, if you think Heaven and Earth kind of came out 
you know, fairly plain vanilla, really. Um, you know, I think there's no doubt Inside Out, you know, have have really backed the band in terms of all of these formats. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I, I'm a I'm a bit of a surround sound fan. Um, the Quest had a had a a five point one mix. Mm-hmm. Um, this this album has an Atmos mix. Now I don't have all of the gear to to fully appreciate that. But if some of the forums that I read about that stuff are are saying it's it's brilliant, and certainly the production is a big thing. Again, back back to the, you know, if you think of things like, you know, Tormato and uh, I guess Big Generator, and you know, even those Paris sessions you talked about, you know, the producer can have a really big effect on 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 how an album sounds, you know, for mm. the good, e.g., nine hundred one two five, or indeed for the not so good. And um, I think in terms of finding their way of working, Curtis Schwartz and Steve Howe working together has produced a really, really good sounding album. You know, um, I think probably one of the things I would say about it, um, and I was sort of enlightened a little bit by one of the interviews I read with him, but, you know, there's probably not as... Jeff Downs isn't as prominent in the album, maybe as, as yes, keyboard players in the past have been. Um Jeff's kind of taken that was, you know, in everything he does, he kind of approaches it in terms of what does the track need. And he said in a lot of cases, it kind of, you know, it didn't need anything else, you know, beyond what was there. Um, so, you know, I think that's a, a, you know, it's back to that, you know, the, the, the King Crimson track that, you know, Robert Fripp gave Bill Bruford a writing credit for because he didn't play on it. Um, you know, that, that you know, and that, the, deci- that, that the decision not to play something is equally as valid as uh, the decision to play something. Funny. And that that's obviously a very Fripp type kind of rationale. But there is that thing of what's right for the music. And I think this is the thing about uh, about this album as well is, you know, there's times where it's, it's really full on, you know, even, even that, the, the title track, you know, the, the different movements and the different sections, you know, how all the different parts fit together. It just sounds a really, really complete album, probably more so than, than the quest ever did for me. And Mm. I I mean, we talked about hearing some of it live. I mean, again, I think the band are fairly realistic, you know, that, you know, probably gone are the days that you're going to get, any more than kind of 15 or 20 minutes of 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 new music in a yes show I, I would love to hear them playing this whole thing live i don't think that's likely to happen but um certainly on, on that last tour you know the ice bridge and um dare to know both both sounded really great live and you know i think i think there's a lot of people would be keen to hear at least the title track and and you know i guess the other two choices would probably be the first two tracks um, what would be cool, actually, is, is a whole show, like a one-off with the orchestra performing the whole album or something somewhere. That would be really cool. Yeah, and some time and a word yeah. and some magnification. Yeah. yeah, I mean, a lot of people would like to see that. I, bearing in mind the, the band's current attitude towards touring and the difficulties of touring, I think they would probably... Uh, steer clear of, of 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 making it even more complicated for themselves. <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you think uh, as far as including the orchestra again so prominently? I mean, maybe that's where Jeff Downs 
you know, is, you know, balanced out of, you know, contributing to those sections instead and, and mm-hmm. using the orchestra to, to elevate a little bit instead? Well, I, yeah, it's funny, the Jeff, the Jeff thing, because I only realized when I'd listened to the whole album the first time I listened to it, and I thought, hold on a minute, where's Jeff? And yeah, it's not as if he's missing because you can, you can um, hear him, you can hear his textures, you can hear some lovely Hammond organ uh, playing and he does play a real Hammond organ. You can see the photographs of it in the in the uh, art book and elsewhere. Uh, he he plays real instruments and he plays them really well. And there are also moments of soloing. What you don't have is the kind of soloing that Rick Wakeman, Patrick Moraz, we may as well forget about because he's he's unique in different ways. But Rick Wakeman certainly not that kind of soloing, and not even Oliver Wakeman soloing that we enjoyed so much on. Uh, on from a page recently so no you won't find that um, but i don't think it's because uh, spaces were filled in by by paul k joyce and his orchestration because when we sp- we spoke to paul uh, about his contributions and he very much came in and added what he think would enhance the the songs he 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 heard the whole album and he sat with steve howe and he said i think this one doesn't need any so going back to that concept again, and uh, this this song and a number of the songs that he orchestrated only have strings on them, and there are only a couple of songs which actually have the full 46-piece orchestra. Um, so I think he came in later on. I think Jeff's work was all done by the time Paul K. Joyce came in with his orchestra. So so no, I don't think it's the the fact that it, that the space was used up by the orchestra. Uh, I think yeah. I think exactly as Jeff's just said, he. Uh, he took the, the took the opinion that that he needed to add what was right for the song, and I, and I think he has done that. I think that I think I also heard Jeff. I can't remember. I've heard so many interviews with Jeff Downs talking about, uh, or one of the band anyway, talking about circles of time. That there was a there was a, a version of that that had a church organ on it, and then they decided, no, actually, right, yeah. you know, let let's strip it right back. And mm. I think, you know, that those are all, you know, valid musical decisions. The little, yeah. the little hidden Jeff Downs gem is in that again that bonus track we talked about, Unknown Place, and there's a middle section in it, yeah, which I think is great, and it kind of puts me in mind listening to it. Of the thing that comes to mind for me in it is the keys to ascension material because yeah, it's kind of like yeah. a nylon string guitar and a and an yeah. organ piece and it's it's a little gem within the middle yeah. of that song mm-hmm. um absolutely and uh yeah so he's definitely he's definitely there and you know uh, you know good good musical choices from him yeah yeah cool i mean uh yeah i think it's a winner i think it'll be uh appreciated on a lot of end of the year lists um you know if you combine their latest effort with uh, Toll's uh, latest album. I think we have a, a mm-hmm. couple of great records from some some longtime uh, pioneers, you know, which is cool in 2023. I mean, I don't know how many more years these guys have left to do this stuff, so more power to them is how I see it. Well, it's the uh, it's the the London Symphony principle, isn't it? You know, that mm. they can keep going as long as they want, as long as the players come in. I know, as you said, some people don't want that. Um, I mean, I think probably the thing that you know the three of us probably share is where you know there's there's yes music we like there's yes music we don't like but but it's very rarely because x x person is or isn't in the band well we uh we listen to it as a whole you know 
At this point, isn't ES almost just like its own living, breathing organism? <laughs> it doesn't, yeah. you know, I think that's the whole idea. I mean, they haven't had the same lineup in 50 years. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. what difference does it make at this point? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Perpetual change. Absolutely. There you go. <laughs> Uh, all right, guys, I know it's late over where you are. I appreciate you guys coming on to talk a little bit about it. Uh, again, hold up the book there, uh, Kevin, the Tormato story. Uh, make sure you uh, get a copy of this uh, on Amazon, Burning Shed, and so on. It's a fantastic read. And uh, check out the Yes Music podcast. Man, if these guys are really, they, they know what's going on with Yes better than Yes does. I'm sure Yes listens to it to find out what's happening. Uh, <laughs> All right, Jeff, know. I'll talk to you again uh, soon. Uh, good night, everybody. See ya. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.